You are listening to Conservatives for Clean Energy and Chambers for Innovation and Clean Energy. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today, and welcome to today's podcast about clean energy champions in North Carolina. I'm Susan Monroe, Director of Economic Development with Chambers for Innovation and Clean Energy. And I am Laurie Barnhart, the North Carolina Executive Director of Conservatives for Clean Energy. Today, we're here to talk about the fifth annual Clean Energy Champions Luncheon, which our two organizations co-hosted at the stunning Proximity Hotel in Greensboro. Wow, it was such an incredible event with some great award winners and their stories of clean energy leadership in our state, which we actually celebrate each year during this event. And we also had a very interesting and quite possibly groundbreaking panel discussion with three top legislators from North Carolina and South Carolina talking about what's on the horizon for energy policies in the Carolinas. And Susan, you are exactly right. It was just an amazing event. We had a great turnout at this year's luncheon with business leaders, Chamber of Commerce directors, legislators, and other clean energy partners But after the event, the two of us started talking and brainstorming about ways we could share some of these interesting stories and conversations. So we decided to record this podcast, which we hope everyone listening will enjoy, and most importantly, help us share it via your social media accounts to your friends and colleagues. And we're also going to share more details about our two organizations as we go along. So please check out our websites for more information and about our organizations and about this year's Clean Energy Champions Luncheon and Awards winner. Lori, why don't you share a little bit more about Conservatives for Clean Energy? Sure, Susan. Thank you. Um, at Conservatives for Clean Energy, we work to educate conservative policymakers opinion leaders, and other conservative North Carolinians on the benefits of clean energy, specifically solar, wind, energy efficiency, smart grid, electric vehicles, and clean energy adoption. As conservatives, we know that market competition and customer choices are two of our core beliefs, which also benefits all of us as electricity ratepayers. Please visit our website at cleanenergyconservatives.com. Great. Thank you, Lori. And Chambers for Innovation and Clean Energy, we assist and we support Chambers of Commerce, and we we help them navigate the opportunities for clean energy development in in their communities. And you can find more information about Chambers for Innovation and Clean Energy at our website, chambersforinnovation.com. Susan, one of the most important things about this event that we give is recognizing our clean energy champions. And tell us a little bit about our two chamber awards. Well, we um, recognize two chambers this year for their outstanding leadership in clean energy development. And those chambers were the Outer Banks Chamber of Commerce and the Edenton Chowan Chamber of Commerce. And then I think, Lori, we also handed out some um, business and corporate awards. We did. Would you tell us about those? Sure, sure. The recipients of these awards were Mad Mole Brewery in Wilmington, which is awesome, by the way. I I went there and had an amazing time. And then Ingersoll Rand in North Carolina and Fifth Third Bank. And then we had our legislator awards, Susan. And, And tell us about those and who got those. 
Well, we were really pleased to uh, recognize Representative Larry Strickland, and we also recognized Senator Rick Horner for their outstanding leadership in clean energy development in North Carolina. Lori, we're actually going to share um, a great soundbite from award winner Representative Strickland that um, he shares about how he um, has a constituent who told him a story about um, a trip to his mailbox. I had a, a gentleman at a country store when Senate Bill 559 came over to the House. He said, you know, that bill was not complicated, Representative Strickland. He called me Larry. He said, you know, in our monthly budgets, we can control how much rent or how much our house payment is. We can control how much groceries we buy in a month at time. We can make choices even with our medicine. But when we walk to that mailbox and get that electric bill out of the mailbox, we're at the mercy of the energy company. And uh, I remember growing up on a tobacco farm. Yes, when we went to the mailbox and got the power bills for our different farms that we were trying to cure tobacco, tobacco, it was it was just you never knew, and, and that's that's what I want a low competition rate for my rate payers throughout this great state of North Carolina. So now we're going to move into the actual panel discussion. As we mentioned earlier, this was the fifth annual Clean Energy Champions Awards luncheon. And in addition to announcing awards, each year's event always features a panel discussion with different business leaders and some of our award winners who discuss various clean energy topics. So this year, we, we took a different path and we featured North Carolina General Assembly members um, across North Carolina and the Southeast to discuss energy policy in the Carolinas. They discuss monopoly utility controlled market structures and customers' growing demands for greater and, and easier access to clean energy. We invited three legislators, two House representatives from North Carolina and a senator from South Carolina, for what became a very exciting and interesting panel discussion. Mark Fleming from Conservatives for Clean Energy guided that discussion, and we've picked out a few of the best sound bites for you to take a listen to. They feature North Carolina Representative John Soka, North Carolina Representative Larry Strickland, and South Carolina Senator Tom Davis. Over the last year or two, these three legislators have been some of the top leaders in the North Carolina and South Carolina legislatures on energy-related legislation, but I found it so interesting to hear about their different professional backgrounds and the different paths that led them to work on these major energy bills. They were all so different. All of their paths were different. So let's take a quick listen, starting with Senator Tom Davis's comments. What happened in Fairfield County, um, the failure of uh, a joint venture that was comprised of SCE&G, uh, a private-owned utility, and C&T Cooper, a state-owned utility, back in 2008, embarked upon building two new nuclear reactors in Fairfield County, called BC Summer 2 and 3. And um, at that point in time, it was considered to be a viable uh, economic project because the price of natural gas was about $14 a unit. You had discussions up in Congress about having trade and were very heavily dependent upon coal generation in South Carolina. So it was deemed to be a good idea back in 2008. But then moving forward, um, 
and as they started to spend billions of dollars on that project, uh, internal documents looking back after the fact showed that beginning in 2013-2014, they knew they were never going to complete this facility, never going to generate any power, and that they, yet they continued to spend billions of dollars um, on these two nuclear reactors until finally in July 2017, they pulled the plug and said, we're just going to scrap it all. And, you know, rate barriers, you've got $9 billion in your rate base, but, you know, this is what you're stuck with. And so, you know, you ask how I got involved in energy issues, that, that's what got me involved, those headlines. And so that started us thinking about there has to be a better way. And in terms of setting forth an objective, that better way was ultimately having what consumers pay for power be a function of what competition in production markets yields, as opposed to simply giving a monopoly a guaranteed rate of return on whatever they decided to invest. And so um, that catastrophe in 2017, you know, gave rise to the Energy Freedom Act. And it's one instance where as politicians in South Carolina, we actually reacted to something the right way. We just didn't get angry and shake our fist. We, we looked at what the model was. We figured out what, what went wrong. And we overcame some pretty stiff resistance and got the bill passed unanimously. And so the question then becomes, you know, how do we continue to make changes along that continuum toward more competition? Because the Energy Freedom Act, you know, really isn't the, you know, the entire thing. It's the first step. And um, I'd like to explore more toward the two Carolinas doing something together, breaking down territorial monopolies, getting to a point where You've got IPPs, or independent power producers, out there competing with generation. You've got consumers on the, on, the, uh, on the retail side with choices. And then allowing that to drive the process, because in every other sector of our economy, we've seen that where producers of a good and service are competing, and whenever the customer has a choice among them, you get a better product at a lower cost. And, and I don't see any reason why that particular free market dynamic can't have application to the energy sector. And so I think this whole clean energy movement, talking about markets and competition, is tailor-made for Republicans, which is why you see Republicans embracing this more and more. And, and we'd like to work with our friends in North Carolina to really kind of, you know, combine our efforts and come up with a larger market so consumers benefit even more. Wow, there is nothing like a $9 billion mistake that electricity customers will have to pay for to jumpstart the conversation among legislators in South Carolina. I'm just incredible. Luckily, we haven't seen such a costly mistake here in North Carolina. However, our state legislators are also asking similar questions regarding our government-mandated monopoly utility and if it's the best market structure for customers and available technologies in the 21st century. Let's start with Representative Soka's comments on how he got interested in energy issues. So I went up there and uh, as a Republican, uh, it's my first elected office ever. Uh, you have to get spun up a lot of issues. I wasn't really into energy. I mean, I knew a lot about diesel and, you know, filling up tanks and Bradley infantry fighting vehicles and how to move shit and communicate on battlefields and things like that. But when it comes to electricity, I didn't really know a whole lot. Um, so I went up there with, at the time in 2013 with the, uh, what was the right-leaning uh, think tanks, you know, solar, bad, wouldn't exist except for taxpayer subsidies, you know, we just need to rely on coal and gas and everything else. And I went on this six-month journey of exploration into energy, trying to uh, 
figure out where truth really was. So when I did the numbers, I was convinced that uh, solar in particular um, made economic sense. Being a good conservative, that's, <laughs> it makes economic sense, I'm for it. Kind of one of these things that I got very interested in, and you're very generous in calling me an expert. I think most people in this room have forgotten more about power than I'll ever know. But uh, it's, it, it's given me enough knowledge to be able to jump into complicated issues to figure out where that meter is. And, you know, where that meter is is really where should the policy go. And, and that's pretty much the most important thing is figuring out the correct policy. Everybody has their opinions on policy, but I always work for the people who sent me to Raleigh, my constituents. I work in, in a larger space for the people in North Carolina to try and craft good public policy that allows free markets to work like free markets should. It allows innovators like many of you in this uh, room to go out, innovate, bring new things to market. I mean, I think that's what made America great. At least that's what I believe made America great. So those are the type of issues that I push. and I'm on the side of innovation and free markets. So when it comes to this highly controlled energy monopoly and system that we have here, um, it kind of rubs me the wrong way because it's a monopoly. And I, I get the history. I've studied the history of how power came to be in the country. I get that. I just think that we're right now at a, at a tipping point, if you will, for two things. One, that the current regulated monopoly structure that we have in North Carolina has seen its best days. Those best days are behind it. I think we need something else. Uh, and I'm not going to name any state in particular because I don't have a particular state that I think has the, the way to go. We need a, as uh, Senator Davis says, we need a Carolinas plural uh, solution on this. So I'm looking to the future to figure out what that solution is. Um, that's where I think we are. I, I would invite the uh, uh, all industries on either side of the issue to work collaboratively with us with the Utilities Commission, with the governor's staff, to try and figure out what is the best solution for the Carolinas. Not just for any one company, but for all companies, for the consumers. We have to be more consumer-centric focused. And Representative Larry Strickland, who represents Johnston County in the North Carolina House, and is a lifelong fourth-generation farmer. I served 18 years on my Johnston County Board of Education, eight years as its chairman. Uh, the county of Johnston is located adjacent to Wake County. We are a fast-growing county. We have a lot of new families and a lot of new children moving into Johnston County. Uh, prior to the Great Recession of 08, we were growing about 1,500 students per year which is uh, a middle school or a high school in our county. Uh, since the Great Recession, we're still growing at about uh, 750 to 900 students. Uh, we're getting a lot of growth that bleeds over from a large county and we're a more uh, commuting county. Uh, we were much a rural county uh, during my childhood and young adult uh, life. Now we're becoming more of a suburban county. My first, I guess, uh, looking at solar farms, I attended planning board meetings in the county as a chairman uh, 
did not have a vote, but uh, I started seeing uh, solar farm industry companies coming to planning board meetings to get the <coughs> permitting process. And uh, I quickly, I started investigating, learning that uh, solar farms uh, leasing to my fellow baby boomers, farmers, and baby boomers inheriting farms throughout my county uh, were uh, getting good acreage uh, per acre on a lease. I'm ranked 14th in the state in solar projects. Uh, I have 15 in my district. Uh, prior to solar farms being located on that acreage, they were the total, uh, I got 66 megawatts, which is, I guess, a little bit over 300, 350 acres. Uh, they were paying uh, $9,000 in, in total assessed value, and now it's, uh, I think, uh, about uh, $378,000 to the tax coffers. That money is what we use for police protection, building schools in a fast-growing county. So as a fourth-generation farmer holding on to a family farm, I'm committed myself to try and hold on to that farm for the generations of my family that will follow me. The challenge is, is my farmers that are located on their family farms or a baby boomer inheriting that farm is trying to uh, keep it in the family. And what I'm seeing is a solar project going on a farm being carved out. It, it gives a additional revenue stream to that farmer that wants to continue to uh, farm that land or it uh, enables a, a maybe an absentee owner that owns a family farm uh, having a revenue stream where they can you know pay the taxes but also have additional money as they get older in life and, and reverting it back to a, a family farm uh, that could be attended but uh, once you ever sell that farm to a developer and rooftop store growing out of that uh, ground never get that farm back as, as an agricultural chairman in the house, uh, I see that as a, that is my, part of my vision, part of my mission is to try to protect Eastern North Carolina with the agricultural industry that we've got across the state and in the West also, but also trying to, uh, to do what's best for uh, the, the citizens of the county and, and surely the state. I want to uh, try to preserve our, our rural uh, settings of North Carolina and, and try to try to you know help those farmers that are trying to survive during those bad years. And, and to me, I see this as a perfect fit. Uh, that is the story I, I preach when I get out and move it around. That uh, I've seen it, I see it work, I see money coming into county coffers, and I see the farm land that's being able to be preserved uh, having a solar project on your farm. I really liked hearing about Representative Strickland's previous experience on the school board and, and really having to figure out ways to build and pay for new schools each year in one of our state's fastest growing counties. And I liked how he quickly connected the dots between solar projects 
giving farmers new critical revenue via leasing part of their land and generating new property taxes for the county government. In fact, he said something pretty impressive that the property tax payments that the solar companies are paying is a 4,000% increase than what that same land used to pay. And one of my favorite parts of the panel discussion came when Representative Soka gave what he called an altar call or a call to action as he explained the um, importance of the business and chamber leaders at the event to get to know their legislators, share their stories, and help legislators develop energy policy and related legislation that works for them. He also specifically mentioned how powerful the co-owners of Mad Mole Brewing's remarks were as they accepted their awards, regard, really regarding the positive economic impact of their decision to use solar. I think I've been fairly clear because I'm usually kind of direct on where I think policy is going. So I think I've kind of indicated where that is. So I'm going to take this minute here to just, uh, again, be very direct and tell Every one of you who's not a legislator out here, if the takeaway today is like, oh, those three guys are really great, they're gonna change everything, and you go back to your business and you don't change anything that you're doing, you're missing the point. Because what I'm, this is like an altar call. I'm giving you a call to action right now. Because it's not just a, to legislatures and elected politicians to, to do deep dives, maybe like we did, and figure out this policy. Energy policy is incredibly complex. You all know that. It's just like running a business. If, if you don't get into the weeds in your own business, you're gonna fail, okay? You got 120 members in the House in North Carolina. You got 50 members in the Senate. Um, when I first started being a solar proponent, I got the nickname of Solar Soka, which, which certain people said they thought that was bad. I wear it like a badge of honor now, but we have, I have, along with many of you in here, have helped educate other legislators about the complex issues which with we deal. The best people to help educate them is you. You go talk to the legislature in your district. Go talk to the legislature in your district. I mean, we all have these whatever days when people come up to the state house and you get like five minutes and it's like a, it's like a little revolving door. Nothing ever happens. Each and every one of you, each and every one of your employees, each and every person in your organization needs to embody what you believe in, fight for your industry, fight for what you believe in your organizations. They need to be talking to their representatives, to their senators. Okay, that's how education happens. It's very unusual, like for the three of us to really jump into any policy or any area of it. That's not normal. So. You know, House has got 120 members. There's probably 10, 15 who understand more than just a little bit about energy. So, where's the mole, folks? I mean, good. I just want to drink a beer just because of the name, anyway. But, uh, but when you go back, figure out who you're, if you don't know, find your, your representative and your center and go talk to them and tell them how important it is to your business and get the same speech you gave up here. It was awesome, you know? Stu, for, for your company, I know I, we've already talked, I know you do that. Each and every one of you do that. If you want to see change, if you don't have a nice meal, collect for people, get awards, you go back and run your business and pretend like none of this ever happened, that's fine. 
but know good and well that it's that you're not helping. So these organizations that y'all belong to are more than just about being an organization and awards banquet once a year, which is really awesome. And thanks for doing this, um, and, and all the good things you do. So I say this to every group I go to. I'm saying it again that the real change we need comes from you connecting with your elected officials. I also thought it was interesting to hear all three Republican legislators talk about their shared goals to bring greater market competition and customer choice to the Carolinas' monopoly utility business model and potentially working together to craft new energy legislation that could work better across state lines since our economies, many of our businesses, and our power lines cross over state borders. I want to say John's right. The whole subject matter of energy production, transmission, and distribution is incredibly complex. But the underlying principles that we're talking about are fairly simple and that people intuitively get. Okay, if you can contrast on the one hand a model whereby you've got a territorial monopoly and this utility makes you pay a guaranteed rate of return on whatever they invest, and you contrast that with, well, wait a minute, shouldn't there be production competition and shouldn't you pay the lowest cost? That's a winning argument. I mean, and that is a political argument that I think we need to take to people. And every time the PSC makes a decision, or every time that the utilities try to advance legislation, you take it back to those fundamentals, you take it back to how historically you may have needed to have this model, but we don't need that model anymore to bring capital to North and South Carolina. I mean, people want to invest in our states. And so I think that would be the takeaway, is that this is a winning message. It is a message that people understand. It is a message that you can evangelize over and excite people and call them to action like John is doing. And, and what's even more exciting is, in these days of nothing gets done in Washington, D.C., energy policy, by and large, is shaped at the state level. And so there's a way for us to actually accomplish something. And how refreshing is that to, to kind of like look at something, see a problem, understand what the solution is, and then actually be able to work and achieve and, and change it. I mean, that really kind of restores your faith in what government can do at a time when I think that faith has been severely tested. So I, I think it's an exciting subject. Um, I'm going to be working on an RTO bill, um, and I'm going to work with John and Larry and try to make it a bi-state study committee. I mean, let's, let's have representatives from both states. Let's look at what efficiencies we can achieve by breaking down these territorial barriers and having free and full and fair competition across our state boundaries, because I really think this is an issue um, and on the production side, we talk about, but people on the consuming side, they want it too. Consumers want these alternatives. They want their choices. They don't want to say, we have to buy power from this coal-generated plant. They want the ability to decide where they get their power. So I love the issue. Um, I hate the fact that it took us $9 billion creating a hole in the ground in Fairfield County to wake us up to it. But there's always a silver lining. And the silver lining to that disaster is that people are now engaged on a fairly esoteric issue on a fundamental level, and we can get real change done. Susan, my favorite story from the panel was when Representative Strickland said, quote, once you ever sell that farm to a developer and rooftops start growing out of that ground, you never get that farm back, end of quote. And having grown up in a farming family, I just totally understand the need and desire for a farmer to keep his property in the family going forward. And many, many times diversification of that farmland is critical. And if a farmer can lease his property as another way to diversify his income, then it is just another way that he can hold on to that farm going forward for generations. 
no one will ever love and take care of that property as much as that farmer does. And I can, I'm a, I'm a witness to that for sure. So today, we've had the great opportunity to hear about the Carolina's energy market from three of our legislators. Susan, tell me about your highlights. Lori, I specifically remember um, Senator Davis saying, lowest cost is always a winning argument. And as an economic development director, that's something that, that rang so true with me. And, and I do remember the other uh, key themes, such as competition and innovation. So if we think about low cost, competition, and innovation, for me, those were the, the three highlights of, of all three legislators. Um, at, at the panel discussion. And of course, who can forget the altar call comment? And I think that was great because that encourages all of us um, to make sure that we engage with our legislators on what we feel is important. They need to hear, they need to hear from all of us. And on, on a topic such as energy and markets and utilities and, and, and monopolies, it's really important that, that we offer them our feedback and stories. So as we wrap up today, I want to make sure to um, encourage our listeners to take a look at our websites at Chambers for Innovation and Clean Energy. You can go to chambersforinnovation.com. And for Conservatives for Clean Energy, you can visit cleanenergyconservatives.com. We're so happy you could join us today, and we look forward to our next conversation about energy in the Carolinas.